We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. The 2021 NFL Draft is officially behind us, and that's a good thing because I know that some of you haven't been going outside and getting the sweet, sweet oxygen and vitamin D that you should be getting. And how do I know this? You've been trapped in your basement, and you've been on the computer or on your phone sending me these crazy mock drafts from PFF for the Draft Network, uh, and uh, none of those scenarios actually ended up happening. I, I don't know who the Chargers took but it probably wasn't anyone you projected to them, because that's Tom Telesco. Anyway, now that you can go outside again, you need to shave that beard off your face, or you need to shave your grundle down there. Whatever you need to do because you've been ignoring your hygiene is that you want to go to manscaped.com and use code GUILTY for 20% off your first purchase. Again, that's manscaped.com and use code GUILTY for 20% off your first purchase. It's on us. At least 20% of it is on us. 80% of it will be on you. But... Fix your hygiene and stop sending me your mock drafts. At least I get a reprieve for eight months. And you get a reprieve for my shitty draft takes, too. Oh, my God. You guys are going to start sending me your 2022 mock drafts, aren't you? Hey guys, welcome back to the Guilty as Charged podcast presented by Blue Wire Network. Uh, so happy to be joined today by Tyler and Alex. I know I, I got to remember to say that more often because you know it's been it's been a big deal for us. But uh, Tyler and Alex are here. Alex, how are you doing today, man? Good. Shout out to Blue Wire. Uh, <laughs> we, it, it just hit our account, so that's fun. It is fun, and you know those those 76ers, man, they got the one seed. So how are you feeling? Uh, relieved, and I think all five of them are sitting out today, so <laughs> victory cigar game. But. There you go, getting get healthy towards the playoffs. Tyler, how are you doing today, man? I'm doing just fine. I'm not a huge Lakers fan, but I know that LeBron's going to make it and do some damage for sure, and I'm sure the Sixers are totally not going to blow it, Alex. <laughs> get get past the play-in round. How about that, Lakers fans? <laughs> I mean, the Lakers did you win the championship last year, so I, I think it yeah, but it was a bubble championship. I mean, was it really a thing? I don't know. I I personally <laughs> think it was a little more difficult than usual, personally, but it is what it is. All right, so we've got a fun uh, show planned for you guys today. We've got a couple more interviews um, with Mitch Sherman, who covers the University of Nebraska for 247 Sports, and then Stephen Wiseman, who covers Duke and North Carolina. 
um, for, you know, for a local program there. So happy to have those two on here. The uh, videos, as always, are going to be separate. And the audio version is going to be happening right now. Hey, guys, welcome back to the Guilty as Charged podcast. Very happy to be joined by Mitch Sherman, who covers the University of Nebraska for The Athletic. Mitch, thanks for taking the time to join me. How are you doing? Yeah, Stephen, I'm doing well. How are you? I'm doing great. Can't wait to uh, fire up this conversation about Brendan Hymas, the Chargers' new offensive tackle, guard hybrid is what they're kind of calling him. Uh, I'd like to go back. Where, what were you kind of hearing about where he could end up in terms of, you know, draft selection? And what was your reaction when you heard that it was the Chargers who would uh, ultimately select him in the in the fifth round last weekend? Yeah, uh, really not a lot of surprise with where he went. Um, he was projected to be a mid-round guy, pretty clearly the best prospect, the best draft prospect that Nebraska had this year. Uh, the Huskers, you know, coming off a losing season, um, had a number of their defensive players who opted to come back for that COVID sixth year. So on the offensive side, um, you had Hymas, you had Matt Farniak, another offensive lineman who were, who were drafted, and then, and then uh, three or four uh, free agent signees. So um, I would have been surprised if it had been anything but Brendan Hymas going as Nebraska's uh, top pick in this draft, and the middle rounds seemed like uh, the most likely destination. You know, there wasn't really much um, there wasn't really much debate about whether he was going to be picked in this draft. I think more of it had to do with w- were teams looking at him as a tackle or a guard, and when he had his pro day or Nebraska's pro day back in March. Uh, it became apparent um, based on some comments that he made that he, he expected to uh, to probably end up as a guard, which is mm. is uh, a different spot, of course, than than what he played in, in college. Yeah, and I, I, I feel comfortable enough, you know, saying that I think he can make that uh, adjustment. Obviously comes to the Chargers with, you know, a ton of production, 40 consecutive starts at the University of Nebraska, which is definitely a big deal. How did you see him grow as a person and as a player across those 40 consecutive starts? Yeah, I mean, he was an early contributor at Nebraska. Um, he was recruited by uh, the former coaching staff, by Mike Riley's coaching staff. So you go back to a former uh, San, Diego Char- San Diego Chargers, uh, now, of course, Los Angeles, uh, head coach um, way back, like two decades ago, and um, and then played the majority of his career for Scott Frost. So Br- Brendan – um, was um, really in rare company to to play as a true freshman on the offensive line at Nebraska back in in 2017, um, and then uh, not just play but 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 to start and was a uh, um, you know a, an all freshman team guy in the in the Big Ten that year. Um, obviously, then you're not looking at somebody who was a leader in the program. Um, he was a young guy. He was learning. And 2017 was a difficult year for Nebraska. Um, it was a year, as as many years have been recently right. for for this program that that I cover. Um, but 2017 in particular, because there was a lot of speculation about a coaching change, ended up being a coaching change with with Riley and his staff getting let go at the end of that season. And then you had Scott Frost come in and, and bring in an entirely new offense. So Hymas was playing as a, in, in his first year as a starter in a pro style system um, where, you know, he's protecting the, uh, you know, the blind side of the quarterback um, playing primarily at that left, left tackle spot. And then, and then entirely as the left tackle um, in, in the next three years, which was more of a spread system 
um, with uh, with Adrian Martinez as the quarterback in 18, 19, and 20. And, and he was just steady. Um, Hymas, uh was was extremely durable. Um, never never missed uh, never missed a start. Um, I do recall there was a game I believe in um, in 19 where he went down. Um, and it looked like he might, he might have something serious, but he was back in the, in the lineup the next week. So obviously a sturdy, well-built, physical, durable guy at that tackle spot and 40 starts, uh, as you mentioned, Steven, um, is, uh, is a pretty incredible stretch, um, uh, more than, more so than, than anything any Nebraska offensive lineman has ever accomplished. And, you know, it's not the, uh, the same program that it was in the eighties and nineties when there were first round picks right. coming out regularly on the offensive line, but still quite a feat to be able to do that in, in, for a Big Ten program. 100%. And durability is such a, an important attribute of playing along the offensive line. Um, obviously, the Chargers drafted Rashawn Slater, and, and around him, you know, kind of everyone's talking about, you know, the Big Ten edge rushers and obviously the Chase Young game for him, but there was, you know, A.J. Epinesa, Zach Bond, Quiddy Pay, mm-hmm. Jason Owe, Shaka Donnelly, all these guys that have been drafted over the last couple of years in the Big Ten. How did uh, Brendan Hymas snack up against that elite competition on a week-to-week basis? Yeah, he did well. I mean, he was Nebraska's most productive, most reliable offensive lineman, I would say, for the last two seasons in, in 19 and 20. Um, Brendan, Brendan opted out of Nebraska's uh, season finale against Rutgers this year. That was kind of the um, the championship week games um, that, that were not on the schedule uh, they were the, they coincided with the uh, the conference championship game that they they uh, that the league did uh, pitted matchups uh, across the division That's in right, late yeah. scheduled games and and you know Brendan had decided at that point he later said that um, if it didn't look like a bowl game was in the works or maybe even if a bowl game had been in the works you know he wanted to get on with his training and um, you know start getting ready for um, you know whatever postseason game he was selected for for his pro day obviously there was no combine this year. Um, so he missed that December 18th game, um, but up until then was the most reliable guy. Um, I, it seemed to me fair, to be fairly common for those elite edge rushers to end up on the right side, facing the right tackle for, for Nebraska. You know, guys like Chase Young, um, they move around on a defensive line, and I'm not, I'm not saying that, that Hymas – uh, never faced those guys. Of course, he faced good defensive ends and edge rushers right. uh, going through the Big Ten. But most often, you would see the matchup with uh, a younger player in the last couple of years. Nebraska started a freshman uh, t- at right tackle last year, and he got a ton of work against the better the better pass rushers in the league. But um, uh, and, and in fact, Chase Young the year before uh, was not matched up against Hymas a lot. When he was, um, and I believe there were a few snaps. Um, there wasn't a ton that, that you didn't notice Chase uh, nearly as much as when he was going against the right tackle. Well, that's great to hear. And obviously, um, you know, I think his pedigree and, and the respect that people have around him for had around him around the league, you know, speaks volumes there. Um, you mentioned on his pro day, he made some comments that he could be, be potentially looking to move into guard. The Chargers have, you know, come out and said that they kind of view him as a tackle guard hybrid. How do you think he'll handle that adjustment kicking inside a guard? Yeah, he's a mature guy, um, you, you know, not a super um, outgoing, talkative guy, you know, I, I think, which is you know, somewhat common for offensive linemen. I mean, sometimes you do find the offensive linemen, um, from my experience, you know, who, who are uh, who are gregarious and, and you get to hear a lot from those guys. Um, yeah. But more often than not, um, at least, you know, it, it, coming through this program and, you know, I've covered a lot of college football uh, at places outside of Nebraska, too. And 
Um, he's a, he, he fits a mold of a guy who's, who's reserved, um, lets his play do the talking. I don't think he'll have an issue at all if they're asking him to play guard. I think he'll be receptive to, um, to learning that. And I don't think it'll be a big adjustment for him with as much, as much as experience as he has on the line. He was often asked to help the guards um, with their assignments. And, you know, while he didn't step in and play that position at any point in his career at Nebraska, um, I, you know, I think, I think, you know, going to the NFL is going to be a big transition. It is for anybody. And, right. you know, he's not a slam dunk to come in and, and, you know, have a great grasp of everything that they're asking him to do. Um, but, I, but I, I feel like he is well positioned because of the maturity that he has and his attitude toward football and learning to, uh, you know, to make a good, make a good, a good move there. If, uh, if that's where he, what he ends up doing full time. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I think in general, you know, most NFL teams will, will cycle through, you know, a, a certain amount of players up front. Obviously, injuries are going to happen. How comfortable should Chargers fans feel if Hymas is thrust into a starting role this season? Well, he did it at Nebraska. He did it in the Big Ten where he was thrust into a role early in his career and, you know, didn't stand out as, a, you know, a, a sore thumb or a problem on that line. Really, the problem with Nebraska in 2017 was its defense. Um, it was given that Nebraska was given up a ton of points and the offense, uh, you know, was not the reason that that coaching staff got let go at the end of that year. Uh, it had more to do with, with struggles on the other side of the ball and then just issues within the program about uh, involving recruiting and, and, you know, where Nebraska was, was headed. And, and of course the, uh, the availability of Scott Frost, a, a native son um, who was having a 13 and 0 season that fall at UCF, um, you know, really speeded up the process and made it a much easier decision to make that change. Um, so the last thing I'd look at um, from that year is the offense or the offensive line and say when Brandon Hymas was a freshman, you know, and he was playing right tackle then, that Nebraska struggled and you could pinpoint some of that on him. You know, he was a 19-year-old a kid from Austin, Texas, who got asked to step into a difficult spot. You know, generally you're going to see those, those freshmen come in even today in college football and redshirt their first year in the program, but they didn't have that uh, that luxury, that flexibility to do that with him, and, and he had progressed. So, I mean, he, he could have, but um, they, they knew that he was their best option and he was going to be a starter. So I think if, if um, you know, whatever the circumstances are that they, they lead him to, to uh, being required to play uh, in his rookie season, uh, that he would be up to it, and, and his experience back in 17 uh, is a good indicator. Awesome. I think that's fantastic to hear. I think, you know, that – will uh, uh you know please a lot a lot of the Chargers fans that we that are listeners to uh our podcast because you know I personally was a big fan of of Hymas and I, I love the pick there so Mitch this has been awesome for us I think this is a lot of great intel for our listeners uh Chargers fans if you are itching for some Nebraska football make sure and follow Mitch at Mitch Sherman on Twitter and at the Athletic College Football uh page on Twitter as well thanks again Mitch for joining us yeah thanks for having me Stephen we're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. 
and listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. The economy is made up of real people doing real stuff, and it affects everything, which you obviously know since you're a real person doing real stuff. Marketplace is here to help you get smart about everything beyond the what of the day's business and economic news. We dig into the how and the why with the real people driving our economy. From big tech and interest rates to small businesses and what's happening at the Fed, Marketplace breaks it all down so you don't have to. Listen to Marketplace wherever you get your podcast. Hey, Chargers fans, welcome back to the Guilty as Charged podcast. Very happy to be joined now by a fellow Steven, Steven Wiseman, who covers the ACC for the uh, Herald Sun and specifically the University of Duke. So, Steven, thanks for joining me. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. It's always a good day when I can talk about Chris Rump. He's one of my favorite people to come through Duke. Well, there we go. I, I, I can't wait to talk about him. Obviously, the Chargers did make that pick in the uh, fourth round of the draft a couple weekends ago by the time this will come out. Um, so what kind of thought process or where did you think that you could hear Chris Rump's name be called? And what was your kind of general reaction uh, when it was the Chargers in the fourth round who uh, made that pick official? Yeah, I, I thought, um, I mean, he could have gone as high as maybe the third round. I didn't think second round he would get there. Um, I thought maybe he could get late Friday night in the third round. And then I knew on Saturday when we got to the fourth round that, that he would go pretty quickly, probably be the first Duke guy off the board. And uh, so um, I thought, I think LA is a good place for him to go. He'll uh, he'll love the, um, he's a very gregarious guy. You talk to him. So I think he'll like the whole uh, Southern California, Hollywood mentality. Uh, <laughs> um, and it's a good, it's a good place for him to be, um, you know, being at Duke, uh, Duke football, you know, while Duke basketball is known around the country, Duke yeah. football can kind of get lost here in, in the, in the, within the own state, within the area with North Carolina and NC state normally being somewhat better programs in football. So um, he's used to kind of being a little under the radar, I guess, because you know, the chargers and the Rams, we know who, you know, which, one one team gets a lot more attention than the other, as my understanding out there, right? So um, he, he's good at driving in that situation and helping fix it, maybe. <laughs> well, that that's great. Um, I would like to go back in time a little bit and, and talk about his recruitment process because I know his his dad was a coach, which we'll touch on a little bit later. Um, I know he coached at Clemson. So what was the what was the recruiting process like for? Chris Rumpf and, and, you know, did his dad kind of impact where he went and all? And just in general, like, what was that process like for him? I, I think it was more his mom that influenced it because he, you know, with his dad being so well-known among major football people, you know, all the places he's coached in college and played and, and played at South Carolina, coached at Clemson, you know, uh, Chris could have had opportunities to play in the SEC or at a, more of a, a a well-known football program than Duke. Mm -hmm. And uh, his mom really liked the, the educational aspect of it, that he could come to Duke and play ACC football for a coach in David Cutcliffe, who is known for producing NFL players, uh, mostly quarterbacks, but NFL players overall, and knows how to run a program and, 
he'll also get a first-class education that maybe wouldn't have been available at some other schools he was talking to. And so that is, from my understanding, what kind of led him to Duke was once Mama weighed in, he was going to Duke. (laughs) Well, that's good. I guess we know who wears the pants in that relationship then. (laughs) Um, So let's talk about his dad because I think, you know, there's this old adage, right, of like he's a coach's son, like, but how did that impact Chris specifically? Because, you know, we've seen it have various results across, you know, the different stages of football. So how did that impact Chris specifically uh, while he was at Duke? Yeah, I mean, again, I'll talk from, from my point of view as a media member. I talk about how, how great he was in the interview room. And then when we had to do Zooms the last year here, he was very comfortable talking about football, you know, well-versed in all, all aspects of the game. Very, and the comfort level to me is what stood out because a lot of times, you know, we'll get kids that are 18 or 19 years old and they're very reticent, reticent to talk with the media. Mm-hmm. Um, they'll say cliched things, whatever, just try to basically get it over with. Chris seemed to relish it from day one. He liked talking to us. He'd say, does anybody else have anything else to talk to me about? You know, the interview wouldn't end just when we were done asking questions. So I think his dad played a role in that because he was so comfortable. He knew that was part of the game part of what he had to do. And uh, so from that point of view, that's where that, that impacted him. You know, on the field, obviously, he um, he was so well-versed in the game that it made it uh, easier for him to be coached. You know, he's used to being around his dad, used to being watching film and all that. Sometimes kids get to college, they have to learn how to do that. Chris mm-hmm. already knew how to do that. So, And now I would think uh, when he goes to the NFL, it would be the same thing. His dad's in the NFL now uh, with the Bears. And uh, – uh, it was with the Texans. So he knows the, the NFL mindset, the NFL grind. And I don't think he'll have much of an adjustment to getting ready to play. Well, that's that's always good to hear. I, I think a lot of the, the question marks kind of concerning, you know, Chris Rumpet is, you know, Duke kind of used him as, as like a hybrid defensive player, a little undersized. So, you know, what where do you land? Is he an edge rusher? Is he an off-the-ball linebacker? Or is he kind of a mix of both? Yeah, I mean, he has a mix of both. And I, I always wondered during his time at Duke if they'd ever just move him to linebacker full-time, you know. Mm. But he's such a good off-the-edge rusher. And he's really, you know, that's his strength. And um, you, know, you worry about him at his size, you know, getting pushed getting pushed around by big linemen. But he's got so much good athleticism, his speed, and his, uh, that he can, he can maneuver his way in there. He's got some pretty slick moves. And so – um, I think at the at your level at the NFL, that's where he's going to thrive is is being go after the quarterback, go do it, go get him that way, you know, just turn him loose. Because I think what happened was also any idea about switching the linebacker was, you know, he wasn't really great in pass coverage, and mm-hmm. so um, you know you don't you don't want to get exposed that way, uh, uh, get out you know out in, in space and not know yeah. anybody can cover. So um, maybe that's something that the NFL he can continue to learn and get better at that, but. Here, it was just go after the quarterback and get it done. Well, I think that's that definitely seems, you know, like it, it fits what the Chargers will be doing with them. They've kind of talked about that as, as kind of and being that edge rusher. And, you know, the Chargers have a great coaching staff at the defensive line position. Obviously, their head coach has a fantastic reputation for developing edge rushers. And uh, Jay Rogers, uh, Chris Rump Sr.'s uh, former colleague, has, is there in Los Angeles too. So he'll be able to coach him up. Uh, you kind of talked about who he was as, you know, an interviewee at the podium kind of person, but what kind of person are the Chargers getting off the field besides just of like the football stuff? Who is Chris Rump off the field? Yeah, 
he's um he's he's willing to uh to do what's needed as far as community stuff again i think that's his dad well his mom too let's not again she had a big influence on it too but he um you know he likes to to be around kids and uh, uh, do whatever's needed. I've seen him, you know, signing autographs and things like that uh, with, with Duke fans at Duke fan events. Um, always with a big smile on his face. Seemed to be enjoying the experience. Um, again, that's something that, that I think is, is big with him. He's always enjoying what he's doing, you know. And so that's so welcoming. <laughs> yeah. Somebody that really buys into what they're doing. So um, I, I really think he'll be – Tremendous in the locker room. I, I just don't, you know, I don't see a downside with him when it comes to all that stuff. He's he's a very bright kid, and uh, of course, he, he finished up his degree at Duke just like Mama wanted him to. So there we um, go. That's always going to serve him well in the future. Absolutely, that Duke degree is, is definitely going to you know open some windows for him uh, or open some doors rather after yeah. football is over. So we'll get you out of here on this. You know, obviously, you know, football in the NFL is a results-driven business. What kind of player? are the Chargers getting and why should Chargers fans be excited about the selection of Chris Rump the second? I think you should be excited because of the value the team got in a later mid to later round pick. I mean, he's somebody that, again, if you look at the talent could have been a higher pick, could have been third round um, that way. So that's a good thing always, right? Whenever you get value for a pick like that. And, and he's somebody who I think will be able to come in, and at, and early in his career, make an impact. Uh, you'll see him get just the key sack, or maybe you know come in. I'm not saying he's going to start from day one. Okay, that's not that's not at all. Right. But they'll find a role for him. They'll find things for him to do and, and to make an impact quick. And so uh, it's not like you're you know throwing a pick out there and um, hoping it turns out. I mean, you're going to get something out of him, and uh, and that that's what you want in the draft. And the Chargers need that, frankly. You know, they, they've got Joey Bose as an edge rusher, but outside of him, they, they definitely need some help. So, uh, Steve, this has been great. As a fellow Steven, I've, I've loved listening to your insight. Uh, Chargers fans, if you want to give Steven Wiseman a follow, you can find him at Twitter, at Steve Wiseman NC, covering Duke and the ACC Sports. Steven, thanks so much for joining me. Steven, great to be with you. All right, so thanks again to Mitch and Steven. Hopefully you guys have been enjoying those interviews. We've got a couple more lined up with you, uh, specifically the Georgia one, uh, I think is the last one that we've got to be able to uh, send out. So hopefully you guys have been enjoying those, learning a little, little bit about these prospects. Uh, we were able to get some kind of insight yesterday or two days ago as well because of the rookie mini camp, uh, which apparently was only one day of media availability, which kind of sucks, but it is what it is. Um, other than that, we're going to talk today about Brandon Staley's Coach of the Year campaign, as well as taking a look at the 2021 uh, AFC West schedule. So we'll run down the Chiefs, the Raiders, and the Broncos schedules and, and kind of uh, talk about our observations there. So we're going to start with Brandon Staley's Coach of the Year. Odds been some crazy movement there. He initially opened as tied for eighth, according to DraftKings, and now he is tied for first. So some insane movement over the last few, you know, 72 hours or so as people have been making their bets. So, Alex, uh, we'll start with you. What, what, what are your thoughts as to Brandon Staley's, you know, initial campaign? Like, do you think he has a good chance of winning that award? And what do you make of the specific movement going from tied, to, tied for eighth to tied for first in such a short span of time? Um, I mean, as far as the movement, like, that can just be, you know, people betting money and then people go up and down. So, 
I, I don't know if anything serious happened other than rookie minicamp and Rashawn yeah. Slater putting on a gray jersey. <laughs> um, is that what <laughs> happened in the last few days to cause the movement? I don't know. Um, but, you know, you look at his rookie of the year odds, and to me, or not rookie of the year, coach of the year odds, um, there's really two kinds of coaches that have won the award over the last 10 years. It's been the coaches that have had, you know, a dominant season for their teams, and then there's been the coaches that, you know, kind of win the most improved team award. Um, you know, the most recent one, obviously, was Stefanski, but you have Matt Nagy, 2018, you have Sean McVay, 2017, Jim Harbaugh, 2011. Uh, a lot of those first-year head coaches kind of get that uh, praise, uh, and then, you know, that's sort of the award is the most improved team. And you look at the first-year coaches this year, it's Daly, Arthur Smith, and Robert Sala, who are the guys that I think have a realistic chance uh, to kind of be that most improved team. And to me, Staley's walking into the best offensive and defensive kind of complete team situation. I think Arthur Smith is going to have a great offense with Atlanta um, based on the fact they just drafted a monster in Kyle Pitts. Um, but defense in Atlanta needs a lot more work than the Chargers does. You know, and the Jets need a whole lot more work, and they also have a quarterback to develop. So that's uh, kind of the situation there. I think Arthur Smith was like plus 1,800 when I looked at it, and Robert Sala was plus 2,000. So he easily, I mean, going into the season at least, is the best of that, you know, most improved new coach crop. Um, you know, and five out of the last 10 winners have been that. So, you know, it's, you know, pretty kind of 50-50 unless, you know, you have uh, a John Harbaugh 2019 season where the Ravens go 14-2, and Lamar wins MVP. Also similar season, 15-1, and Ron Rivera, Cam wins MVP. Um, so those are really the two kind of coaching archetypes that you look at. And to me, Staley, out of the new coaches, that can be the most improved team. I mean, he's pretty out in front of the pack. Yeah, the Chargers have not had a coach win since 2004 with Marty Schottenheimer. I could have, like, I think we all could have seen Lynn winning it, but, you know, Matt Nagy's season jump was insane. And it is weird to think that at some point Anthony Lynn legitimately could have won <laughs> coach of the year. And very recently, the challenge here, and I don't know how voting, you know, play, takes this into account, but the challenge here is that the last five guys who have won, off, excuse me, head coach of the year, they've made significant jumps where, you know, Jason Garrett makes a nine-game jump. McVay, seven games. Nagy, seven games. Harbaugh, only four. And Stefanski made a five-game jump. The Chargers went seven and nine. So to make that significant jump, like, he'd probably have to win 12 games. And none yeah. of us picked them to win 12 games. So, like, if they win, you know, like, I, so we guess, like, you know, 10 and seven, 11 and six, is that enough to be considered? I don't know. Like, is that also enough to be better than the Chiefs in your division? I don't know. Um, so that's pretty tough. So, like, I would actually I, – do I think he can win it? Sure. Of course I think he can win it. He's, in, he's going to a pretty good team, and you think, I think he's a good coach. But, you know, I would actually kind of put my money on the Falcons and Arthur Smith, honestly. Like, I know that I think the Chargers are going to be a better team, but they can make that jump. And the Falcons, if they go from, like, four wins to nine wins, looking at their schedule, it's not that difficult. If they beat Philly, the Giants, the Jets, Carolina, Jacksonville, Detroit – you know, hopefully beat New Orleans once. And they have two tougher games with Dallas and San Francisco. Like, you know, they have Julio, Ridley, Gage, Pitts. You know, they drafted Richie Grant, Drew Dahlman, Jalen Mayfield to play guard, um, signed Corderell Patterson. So, like, I do think they could make that jump. And I think that is, like, if I was betting money, I'd probably put it on Arthur Smith. Um, Dark Horse, maybe Ron Rivera, if that team yeah. does really well in the division. And because he's won it twice before. Um, so I do think Staley 
you know, has a good shot at it. But would I bet on him being like the first, like ranked for first or best odds? I don't know. Yeah, that, that those odds are a little tough for me because I think, you know, we, we talked in the interview process while that whole thing was going on that the Chargers were the best situation. You know, they were the closest teams mm-hmm. to contending. And so could it happen? For sure. I, I think the Chargers, you know, are in a good situation where if they're able to stay healthy, um, you know, kind of ride out the storm of those first six weeks, then, then Brandon Staley could be in, you know, a really good spot there. If he was tied for eighth and I were a betting man, I would 100% have taken that bet. Yeah. At tied for first, I'm not taking that bet. Like, I think, you know, if you're talking purely a good value bet, you know, then I don't think Brandon Staley is that anymore. So I think Arthur Smith would be a good bet. Um, and, you know, I, I'm glad that you pointed out Ron Rivera. I think Sean Payton is a good one as well because mm. you know, kind of moving on from Drew Brees and if he's able to, you know, kind of revive Jameis Winston's career and they're able to, you know, win 12, 13 games, then, you know, I could see Sean Payton getting that. I think Bill Belichick is, has a legitimate case as well, um, mm-hmm. potentially depending on what their quarterback situation is. But um, I do think that Brandon Staley has a good shot to win it. And like Tyler was saying, it kind of does depend on that, um, really kind of that first year leap. But it, it's fun to see and, it, and it's fun to talk about for sure. You know, the first year leap thing is interesting because, like, I guess that comes down to the perception of were the Chargers really a seven-win team last year, right? Like, I mean, we do talk about how they kind of won in the garbage time portion of their season, right? I mean, wins are Mm -hmm. wins, but it's like I I don't know if the perception was that they were that. Um, You know, another weird Coach of the Year nomination might be – God, I hate saying this – Urban Meyer, um, I look. I hate wow. everything that man does. I'm not. <laughs> I Wait, mean, hold on. The the coach that's talking about the running back that he just took in the first round playing wide receiver. The the coach that you hate with a burning passion. You're gonna advocate for coach of the year right now? No. Well, okay. So I think he's gonna be terrible and flop. But <laughs> it's like as Tyler was saying, right? We talk about how you know uh, some you know Jags were one in fifteen last year. Right. There is nowhere to go yeah. but up from them. And if you have yeah. Lawrence replacing Gardner Minshew or Jake Luton, whatever they were running out there last year, like I do think there is something to that. Um, and, you know, if they go from 1-15 in 15 to 6-10 and 10 off the back of, say, a Lawrence Rookie of the Year campaign, like I do think yeah. there is something there. Um, but no, <laughs> I would not ultimately bet on Urban Meyer winning Coach of the Year. I I think the three rookie coaches that I've kind of narrowed it down to as, like, value uh, that you can get that's good is is Staley, um, although I guess he's a little high now for value, but also, as we've been talking about, Arthur Smith uh, and Robert Sala. Uh, I think if Robert Sala does turn it around and the Jets are do have the LaFleur uh, brother as their offensive coordinator, if it does look a lot cleaner this year, it could also be them as kind of a most improved team candidate. Yeah. Last thing I want to point out, or we can keep talking, I don't know, but the last thing I want to point out is that John Gruden and David Culley for the Texans have the same odds, which are the worst odds in the NFL. <laughs> and it's amazing that John Gruden and, like, the worst franchise with the Texans was just some random coach, honestly. Yeah. They have the same odds. That's pretty sad. It is pretty sad. And, and you know, I mentioned this last this article that I wrote for LAFB kind of going back towards through the last 10 years of these first-year head coaches and – you know, they're, you know, the only pattern that I really focused on was like the teams that made the playoffs. But the second pattern in every single coaching cycle is that there is 
almost always one immediate flame out. One coach <laughs> in this cycle is going to get fired by the end of the 2022 season. And unfortunately it's probably going to be David Coley when the Texans, because that yeah. situation is so, so terrible. Um, so definitely something to keep an eye on there, but then again, maybe he gets the number one pick next year. That guy kind of turns in into a, a franchise savior. We'll have to see how that one pans out. But um, the last coach of the year candidate that I, I kind of wanted to bring up, and this kind of leads into our next conversation is Brian Flores for the Miami Dolphins. Cause I think everybody's kind of looking at the uh, Buffalo Bills as the favorite Patriots kind of regaining their form, getting back to, you know, like potentially challenging for the division crown, a playoff spot. But the Miami Dolphins did win 10 games last year. They had subpar quarterback play at best uh, between Ryan Fitzpatrick and Tua. And they have the fourth easiest schedule this year, according to Warren Sharp. So it it stands to reason that everybody's kind of looking at the Buffalo Bills as like, they're going to be the next team to kind of, you know, run the AFC East. But the Dolphins have an easier schedule. You know, they've made some improvements. They get Jalen Waddell and they get Will Fuller to, to give Tua some weapons. So, I could see Brian Flores being a sneaky candidate there as well. Yeah, and I think the other one, is this the guy, I, don't, I haven't looked at the on site that you looked at, but is, is Shanahan the one he's tied for one with? Yeah, it was Shanahan. Yeah, Shanahan and, is Stefanski. Yep. Yeah, I mean, Shanahan makes a lot of sense just because that's 6-10 and 10 last year. Obviously, all of the injuries, they have a new quarterback um, and, and Jimmy G, and they're getting a lot of their guys like Nick Bosa back. And I, I think they had... They have the easiest schedule. Is that the yeah. yeah they they're the number one easiest schedule. So to me, that's also you know a really hot spot to bet too. Flor, I mean Flores only has not only only has one job, but if Tua doesn't develop, he's not winning the award unless for some right. reason the defense guides them to thirteen and four. Still hate these numbers, but I like their <laughs> draft. You know Waddle, Eichenberg, Hunter, Long. That's some pretty good offensive talent there to go along with Will Fuller. And the defense, which was a lot better last year. So, yeah, I could see it. I just, the odds are a little high. He was at one point a favorite to win it, like mid season yeah. last year, right? So, yeah, doesn't surprise me, I guess. Um, we'll see. Yeah, the three, like, finalists last year were Flores, Stefanski, um, and Ron Rivera. I think Ron Rivera was obviously a little bit of a sentimental pick because of yeah. going through cancer and because of Alex Smith's situation and all that stuff. But, um, I, I think Flores could do that as well. And like Bruce Arians, you know, if the Tampa Bay Buccaneers are able to, you know, really build out this resume, so to speak, I think Bruce Arians could make a lot of sense there as well. Um, all right. So we, mm-hmm. we mentioned this a couple of times. We're going to talk about this um, overall, the, the schedule for this upcoming season, at least according to Warren, uh, Warren Sharp, um, who does some great work in, in the analytical field. So he compiled this ranking of the 2021 NFL strength of schedule based on the forecasted win total. So a lot of strength of schedule tweets and, and, and files that you'll see right now are based off of who the teams played last year and how those teams played or who the teams that they're playing this year for um, fared last season based off of their record. Um, but I like this one because it does forecast a little bit more based off of the record proje- projection. So the Chargers sit at 19th on this, 19th easiest or um, 12th hardest if you want to look at it that way um, according to Warren Sharp and we mentioned the Niners as the easiest number two on this schedule is the Denver Broncos so we're going to start there with the Denver Broncos we're going to run through their list and we're kind of just going to have a similar conversation to what we did about the Chargers and and kind of what jumps out at us so 
Running down the list, the Broncos open at New York, at Jacksonville, home against the Jets, home against the Ravens, at the Pittsburgh Steelers, home against the Raiders, at the Cleveland Browns, home against Washington, at Dallas, home against Philadelphia. They have the week 11 bye. And then um, home against the Chargers, at the Kansas City Chiefs, home against the Lions, home against the Bengals, at the Raiders, at the Chargers, and then they wrap up the season uh, hosting the Kansas City Chiefs. So, Tyler, what are your initial thoughts looking at this Denver Broncos schedule? I tried to go through and give everyone a a win-loss prediction, kind of based off and jumping off from our Chargers predictions. And although they do start the season pretty nice with the Giants, Jags, and Jets, yeah. Uh, it, it does get pretty tough for them, and it is still the AFC West. And, you know, unfortunately, the, the Denver Broncos, I just – if the Chargers are going to win games and beat the Chiefs or beat the Steelers or the or the Ravens or whatever, even if I predict them to lose some of those games, they have the quarterback to take that step. So it's like, okay, they could flip the script on anything that I say here, win or loss. Broncos, I just feel like it's – like, do you have the quarterback? No, then you're going to lose. Like, I think their defense might be okay, but we'll see how they do with – I just, I have them at seven and ten right now. I don't have them beating the Chiefs once. I have them splitting with the Raiders, and splitting with the Chargers. And like, I don't know. I just don't see a whole lot for them. There's no, like, okay, if they play Dallas. Like, I just don't think they have the firepower to keep up. Where the Chargers have the firepower and a defense. I think, you know, Washington football team. I just flipped, you know, my win or my loss to a win for the Chargers in that game. You know, can the Broncos overcome that Washington football team defense? I don't really think so. So, I have them at seven and ten. It's I don't want to say it's easy to predict their schedule, but it just seems like until they have a quarterback, they're either winning or they're losing. And there's not a whole lot of close ones here, except for maybe the game against the Raiders. Yeah, I mean, it's I, I think it's an easier schedule, but like Tyler said, it's like if you don't have the quarterback, then, you know, I don't know what the team's going to be. Um, I will say just like they do have the Jets, which is obviously easier than what the Chargers have. Obviously, they they get the Lions, which I think is probably more enviable than having the Vikings on your schedule. Yeah. But um, yeah. To to me, their schedule was a bit more balanced. Like there wasn't like any section with a bunch of hard opponents, uh, sort of like the Chargers had at the beginning, or we'll get to the Raiders, uh, like they have in the last eight weeks of the season. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I. I, I, I haven't come up with a number prediction for them, but to me, I, I think that's sort of a 7-10, and 8-9 team. I think the Denver Broncos are, are clearly, you know, with the Chargers in the sense that they're probably either going to be second or third. And I, I think this schedule opens up really nice for them. I mean, you get the, the Giants, the Jaguars, and the Jets, and so, like, kind of worst-case scenarios there is that you're, you know, heading into week four against the Ravens, and you're probably 2-1. and one. But, you know, then it, then it could definitely snowball for them because you got the Ravens who will give them problems. You'll get the Steelers who will give them problems. Um, you, the Raiders, I mean, that's a divisional game, so you kind of never know there. Then you get the Browns and Washington. So their opening schedule isn't crazy. But then, you know, you look at weeks four through eight, and that's five that's four really really good defenses that could certainly give their offense problems especially with drew lock or teddy bridgewater whoever is is playing quarterback there so after the washington game it's not super difficult like i think playing at dallas is is a tough spot for them uh like tyler was saying i mean they get the eagles at home so that should be you know a win then they get the lions and the Bengals at home so both of those two should be wins um, so, I mean, if they're able to, you know, split with the Chargers and split with the Raiders, 
you know, I think they could be looking at like an eight and nine kind of season or a nine and eight kind of season. God, I hate that so much. Um, but I, I do think that the Broncos improved at enough spots where I could see them definitely improving on their win loss total. It's just the quarterback. Like if, if Drew Locke can even yeah. be average for them or Teddy Bridgewater, I could see them getting up to 10 and seven. But like Tyler was saying, I just don't like, are you going to go into Dallas feeling comfortable with Teddy Bridgewater or Drew Locke versus Dak and same kind of thing with the chiefs and with all these other teams. So, um, they have a really good roster outside of the quarterback and their schedule is easy. Um, so it, it certainly could make a lot of sense to see them take that, you know, nice four game, five game win streak leap. But I just don't know if I feel comfortable to say that they do that. You say all this, but uh, Teddy Bridgewater and Drew Locke did beat us last year. Um, so that, <laughs> <laughs> that is true. That That's is funny. true. We did give them the split. So there we go. There we go. All right, let's uh, let's move on to the Chiefs, who happen to fall right uh, next to the Chargers at 20th. So that would be the 12th most difficult schedule, according to Warren Sharp. And we'll run down this now. So they obviously open against the Browns. That'll be a super fun game, just as a, as a casual fan. It's going to be a lot of fun. Um, mm-hmm. Then they play at Baltimore, host the Chargers. At the Eagles, host the Bills. At Washington, at Tennessee, host the Giants, host the Packers. At the Raiders. Uh, host the Cowboys. They have a bye week in week 12. And then they host Denver, host the Raiders, at the Chargers, host the Steelers, at Cincinnati, and then they finish at the Denver Broncos. So, Alex, we'll start with you on this one. Uh, what jumps out to you about the Chiefs' schedule? I mean, obviously that Packers game um, yeah. is probably the most interesting thing because is it going to be Rodgers versus Mahomes or is it going to be Jordan Love versus Mahomes? Um yeah. Granted, I don't know if it makes a huge difference in terms of their final record prediction because, of course, you do uh, have, you know, you're either going to be playing Rodgers once or you'll be playing him two times, right? So if he's in if he's in Denver. So we'll see about that. But um, I don't think it's too hard of a schedule. Like we said, it's kind of similar to the Chargers uh, in a lot of ways, apart from, you know, having the number one game against uh, the Bills and they get the uh, the Titans um, but other than that, it's not too bad. I think it's a manageable schedule, and the reality is they're twelve and five team, thirteen and four kind of team, uh, especially with the rebuilt offensive line. I don't think they should have too many problems. I genuinely hate doing this record prediction for the Chiefs because I don't like their roster. Like for certain, like their roster, like their defense isn't that good, and yeah. who knows how this offensive line is going to be. But I have them at fourteen and three because that's stupid <laughs> quarterback and their coach. So I mean, it's gonna come. A couple games will be close for sure. Like the, they have to play the Bills, they have to play the Titans, so that could be close in the AFC. That Packers one is big. The Packers did win last time they played thirty-one twenty-four, and I believe they do have to go to Lambeau that game. So that could be a very significant game. And of course, I. Hmm, oh wait, did I give them a loss to the Chargers? Oh God, and I'm just way too optimistic these days. I don't know why I wrote a loss <laughs> to the Chargers. Whatever. I mean, I think it can happen. Like, if it's going to be any game, it'll, it'll be that one. But otherwise, like, their schedule is pretty – like, they can just win most of these games, and I really yeah. hate to say it, but they could have nothing but practice squad guys. And if that quarterback is out there, they're winning 12 games. It's it's ridiculous, but they're, they're a good – that's a good quarterback, man. It is. So they, they actually host the Packers. I don't know if that changes your oh. prediction at all, but uh, they do host the Packers. Nah. Oh. Okay. <laughs> Gosh, dang um, it. I mean, you're you're right though because I mean everybody kind of looks at the Super Bowl final score 
And it's like, wow, the Buccaneers really took it to the Chiefs. And, like, the score shows that. But, I mean, Patrick Mahomes hit Tyree Kill right in the face in the end zone. And <laughs> I think, he, you know, he had Travis Kelsey who had a drop, like, at the one-yard line or something like that. And so the reality is that, you know, um, Daniel Jeremiah and Bucky Brooks have this conversation of, like, which quarterbacks are trucks and which are trailers, meaning mm-hmm. who can carry a team and who needs to be carried. Patrick Mahomes is the epitome of the truck. Like whatever you think the best truck on the market is, that's Patrick Mahomes. And so he absolutely is going to carry this team. I will say their opening schedule is a little difficult. I mean, you get the Browns, Ravens, Chargers, Bills, Washington, Tennessee in the first seven weeks. That's not a cakewalk. And so maybe they can get kind of out to a slow start if, if they, you know, ended up being like one and two out of the gate. It wouldn't surprise me necessarily because I think, the Browns are really good, and the Ravens are really good. Um, and the Chargers obviously have Justin Herbert, so we'll have to see how that one pans out. But that after the bye week, man, like it could not be any easier for this team. You get the Broncos, Raiders, Chargers, mm-hmm. Steelers, and then you get the Bengals and the Broncos again. So you get such a nice schedule for them. I, I'm, I'm looking at that game at Denver, assuming that they're going to be resting starters again with the one scene wrapped up. Like That's just the reality of the situation, I think. So uh, is Patrick Mahomes like a Ford F-150, Colin Cowherd? <laughs> um, I mean, if that's the, the best truck in your opinion, then yeah, I guess so. Um, I think Anthony Lane would probably call him an F-250. I don't know. Um, all right, guys, any thoughts about the Chiefs before we move on <laughs> to the uh, Raiders one? Good, Tyler? I own a Chevrolet Volt, so I couldn't tell you about trucks. <laughs> <laughs> How Southern California of you, Tyler? <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's move on to the Raiders here. Um, just in the most comical fashion, they have the most difficult schedule, according to Warren Sharp, which I we all love, right? The way that the Chargers release the schedules <laughs> and the family trust respect thing, such a wonderful play on words. I'm so glad the social media team did that. So let's run down the, steel, the Raiders schedule. Excuse me. Um, obviously, opening up with the Ravens at the Steelers, home against the Dolphins, at the Chargers, home against the Bears, at Denver, home against the Eagles. They have a week eight bye. And then at the Giants, home against the Chiefs, home against the Bengals, at the Dallas Cowboys, home against Washington, at Kansas City, at Cleveland, home against Denver, at Indianapolis. And then they close the season hosting the Chargers in the season finale. Wait, is that right? Yeah, that's the Raiders. Okay. I was confused for a second. Yeah. Um, so, Tyler, what jumps out to you about the Raiders schedule, your your dad's favorite team, man? Like, you know, what what can your dad look forward to looking at the schedule? Uh, he can look forward to the fact that my mom's one of the best therapists in Orange County because <laughs> this is going to be a brutal schedule. And I have them at 3-14, and 14, and maybe that's generous. I have them, no offense, Alex, I have them beating the Eagles, maybe splitting the Broncos, and then beating the Bengals. Otherwise, this is awful. This is an awful schedule for the Raiders who are, I don't want to say they're in a transition year, but having to put these O-line pieces in, new defensive coordinator, new secondary pieces in, and have to play some of these teams. I mean, it's already tough enough to be in the AFC West and be probably the worst team in the AFC West, even though they finished ahead of the Broncos and Chargers last season. But the fact that they have to go and play, you know, unfortunately they they did finish as as a second-place team, so they have to play the Colts, and they have to play the Bears. Now, the Chargers have to play the Vikings. But, like, I don't know. It's, either way, it's, that's a tough one. They have to play the Dolphins, I and mean, the Chargers are playing New England. So the schedule is just really, really tough. It, I have them at 0-6 to start, 
and then you know it's just not good anywhere it's going to be really miserable there's a reason that John Gruden has the worst coaching odds to win coach of the year and part of that is this schedule is freaking awful yeah um you said 0 and 6 and it's like I, I like I was trying to kind of figure out where's their first win and it's like the Ravens primetime it's like I don't think they're beating the Ravens Steelers uh next week probably not Dolphins Maybe, you know, but I don't think so. And then, you know, you have the Bears. Bears and Broncos could probably be two toss-up games for them, but ultimately mm-hmm. it's just really tough. And then you go into sort of what their primetime games are. Uh, you do have the, uh, obviously, the Cowboys on Thanksgiving, which is really tough. Then you get, obviously, the Colts in the back half of the season, Chiefs twice, uh, the Browns. I, I mean, they have a stretch that is effectively – the Chiefs, then the Bengals, then Cowboys, Washington football team, Chiefs, Browns, Broncos, Colts. Like, to me, that we were going over the uh, schedule, I think, when it came out, and I, I was like, you know, the Raiders could have, like, a decent start. And then I looked at the schedule again, and I was like, I don't think they will, right? And then it's like, I, I think I said that they could be, like, a 6-3 and three to 6-10 and 10 team eventually. Like, and that's what the back half of the season is. But I look <laughs> looked at the first half again, and I'm like, I don't think they're going to be 6-3. They could be 3-6 and six in that first half. And then yeah. have to deal with the tough part of the second half. Um, so, like, to me, I, I think they do project as potentially fourth place in the AFC West. And... I don't know if there's really a way out of it for them because I don't think they dramatically improved their roster this offseason. So to me, uh, like, I, I think this schedule is really a fourth place in the AFC West type schedule for them. Yeah, I mean, we kind of said this when we were talking about the Chargers playing them. Outside of Darren Waller and maybe Trayvon Merrick, depending on how people feel about him, I don't know who their long-term building blocks are. Like, I think Yannick Ngakwe is better than Cleveland Farrell, for sure. I don't look at Ngakwe as a long-term building block kind of player. I think he's a nice role player. And that's what the Raiders' roster is. I mean, you have Colton Miller, who they signed to a massive contract. I don't look at him as a building block kind of player. I look at him as a nice role player. And then, you know, I know Trent Brown was kind of a headache for them, but he at least is an elite talent at his position now you're starting Denzel Good at right tackle or Alex Leatherwood players who I like but again they're role players they're not you know high ceiling talent kind of players and so it's just it's tough for me to look at this roster and be like confident in the fact that they could win games and so I look at this schedule and I think you have a winnable stretch of Broncos Eagles Giants that's like about it in terms of like easy and, you know, you, you guys hit on, on the opening schedule. Could they be the Chargers? Sure, it's a divisional game. You know, maybe, you know, Monday night football, that's always tough for home teams. But I don't know. I mean, if, if Justin Fields is playing, I don't think that they would beat the Bears. Maybe if Andy Dalton is, I guess. But then, you know, down the stretch, it could not be tougher for a team, like Alex was saying. So I'm not going to go as far as saying 3-14 and 14 like Tyler does, but – I think five and twelve, six and ten, or six and eleven. God, I hate that. Um, but I think this team is 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 definitely you know tracking towards being the last place team. I will say like the one caveat here is outside of injury, obviously, if Drew Lock somehow impresses enough to win the job, and then 
you know, comes out like a dumpster fire, then I think that could put the Broncos in in last place. But yeah. other than that, it looks like the Raiders are going to be in last place this year. I will say you guys have been talking about uh, the Eagles and the fact that they're going to lose uh, all four games in the AFC West. <laughs> and I'm kind of at the point right now where I can't even disagree. <laughs> oh, man. I mean, like – Yeah, sorry. Go ahead, Tyler. No, I'm just saying sorry. But I mean, like we're talking, we had that conversation about first-year head coaches, and listen, the Eagles have the advantage of playing in the worst division in the league. So, like, you know, who knows? Maybe Jalen Hurts gets hot at a certain kind of certain stretch of the year, and maybe the Eagles can get to eight and nine and win the division. I don't think that's out of the question, unfortunately. I yeah, I I sold yeah. them. And speaking of Warren Sharp, Warren Sharp talked about how the Eagles got just brutally, you know, wrecked on this schedule. Um, they're the only team that has to play four games in 17 days, uh, which is just kind of ridiculous. And uh, coming out of that stretch where uh, I think they do play four games in 17 days, they have to then play the Buccaneers and uh, the Chiefs. So it, it is, oh, no. it's just a regular <laughs> schedule. So, like, when I first saw the schedule, I'm like, all right, this could be 7-10. and 10. And I was, you know, kind of being optimistic. I'm like, all right, I'm feeling 5-12 and 12 now. <laughs> that is brutal. Sorry, man. that is that is not fun. So, Jalen, yeah. take the wheel. Jalen, take the wheel. Yeah. So, all right, guys. Any any other thoughts on the AFC West schedules before we uh, wrap up today's show? Um, well, if I, the Raiders well, was... decide to bomb, then Derek Carr has a zero dead cap next season, and they could be in place for a quarterback to. Gave John Gruden another four years. Well, speaking of quarterbacks, I mean, we keep kind of mentioning him on the show briefly, but uh, I reserve the right to change my predictions if Aaron Rodgers goes to the Raiders or Broncos. 100%. Yes. 100%. <laughs> um, the, Bron- the Raiders, I don't think, is, is going to happen. I don't think the Raiders have. I mean, I guess you could throw, like, four first-round picks at him, but, um, <laughs> yeah, that's – that's a tough one. The Broncos it's, will it's, see. It's, it's weird to me that uh, out of all the Raiders, and we were talking about, like, the pieces that they've been kind of loyal to and the building blocks they've been getting. Like, I really thought Derek Carr was kind of going to be out, like, the second year of John Gruden, and he somehow held on to, like, the fourth year. <laughs> and I'm kind of yeah. I, I'm kind of surprised by that. Part of that is the contract, but it's like, if you're paying John Gruden $10 million a year, I mean, you could have probably eaten that a while ago. <laughs> so, yeah. uh, I, I don't know. It, it's weird to me that they've stuck with him all this time. I mean, he did play well last year, relatively speaking. Um, but, yeah, I think that quarterback change is coming relatively soon. Yeah, I mean, that's another one. I, I like Derek Carr. I think Derek Carr is fine. I think Chargers fans, you know, talk about him as, like, a bottom five quarterback when that's just really not the case. But he's not a building block quarterback. He's just – he's fine. So that's just another one there. Um, all right, so that's going to do it for us today, guys. Thank you so much for tuning in. As always, make sure and leave us a rating or a review, um, whether that's on YouTube or uh, on Apple or Spotify or wherever, and make sure and go check out those interviews, and we will see you guys next time. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about, but why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. 
From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.